Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com, IWork, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. And on Tuesdays, we call it Together on Tuesdays with Jim and Martha, as my incredible wife, Martha, of over 30 years, joins us as we talk about subjects that impact the family and relationships. And today's topic, Martha, is going to be on it, it might ruffle some feathers, but it may really encourage the people. We're going to talk today about small churches, church size. When small is big, unleashing the big impact of an intentionally small church. A couple of, a little over a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, I had Tony Dale on the show with me. And he's the president and CEO of Sidera Health. And it's a it's a health sharing company for corporations to kind of get around the expense of Obamacare, but still provide healthcare solutions for companies. And Tony gave me a copy of a book that he and his wife Felicity had written, and it was called Small is Big. And I read the book and I called Tony back. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. We have got to talk about that on the air. This book was incredible. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Tony and Felicity Dale, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're delighted to be with you. You know, we've got Martha on here with me, and we've both have read the book. Martha got mostly through it. I didn't give it to her enough time to get her all the way through it. But this book is impactful, and and I'm so excited you're willing to share because your your lives are written throughout this book. I mean, you guys really had some ups and downs that you shared very transparently, and that was my notes. And after the first chapter, I'm like, wow, this is transparent. These people are being very vulnerable. This is phenomenal paperwork. I love it. But before we get into the book, before we start talking about small churches, before we talk about the value of community within the church, I want to first talk about how is Christ making an impact in your life? How have you noticed, Felicity, the Lord working in your life in those intimate details recently? Uh, recently, I'm actually on a, a year of sabbatical at the moment. I'm, I'm not writing. I'm not blogging, blogging. Normally, I do that. And so I'm spending a lot of time just working on personal intimacy with the Lord. Um, you know, trying to spend uh, additional time praying, just waiting on him, just, um, you know, spending time in his presence and loving it. Uh, you know, it's been a very, very long time since I had significant stretches of time where I could just spend time waiting on him. But I'm thoroughly enjoying just spending time in his presence, uh, reveling in, in everything he's doing and enjoying him. Now, so that, that's where I'm at the moment. Now, Tony, you're not on sabbatical. Uh, I know you're working all the time. So how hard is it to let your wife go on sabbatical for a year when you're having to go to the office? <laughs> that's a really good question. And uh, uh, I, I guess, thankfully, the Lord has uh, sort of constructed both of us where we, we love whatever he throws us into the middle of. 
Uh, and uh, Sidera is a major project trying to take the, the, the healthcare sharing model out to the corporate world is a major challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and God's built me for challenges. I love it. Uh, and I love the freedom to really seek his face uh, and to learn how in listening to his voice that you, you deal with the corporate issues every bit as much as the personal issues. Mm, that's for sure. Just this morning we were praying through Psalm 91 together and uh, all kinds of relevant things about the business were coming up. Well, why don't you share some of those things? Okay, well, uh, I, you know, for those who don't know uh, Psalm 91, you know, he who... Uh, dwells in the secret place of the Most High or, you know, lives under the shadow of the Almighty. And, and the psalm really goes on to describe uh, the reality of spiritual warfare and the fact that we, we desperately need the Lord as our protector. He's our strength. Uh, he's our shield. And, uh, you know, we, we were just praying through that in relation to some major decisions that uh, we're making in relation to the company. Uh, what it means as we uh, look at some of the regulatory or legal issues that, uh, you know, we, we have to, as it were, deal with on a regular basis. Uh, and it's just such an incredible comfort when you know the Lord has spoken to you from his word uh, and told you that's where your security is, that you don't need to be frightened of, uh, you know, pestilence that will come by night or anything like that, that, you know, there are no surprises to God. Uh, and that is a great place to be building a new concept. And but it's a challenge though, as as a CEO of a business, it's there's nothing, there's very little out there to encourage you in your faith to run your business in a Christ-like fashion. So you have to grab that that um, uh, encouragement from your wife and from the scriptures. I mean, it, it's it's a tough one, and you're battling also healthcare and healthcare reform, which is like battling a tidal wave that's about five miles high. But 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 you're attacking it. But that's because the Lord is fighting those battles. So, Amen. I mean, I you know, you describing it like that makes me think of Psalm. I think it's 29 and verse 10, where it says, "The Lord reigns as King above the flood." Uh, and whatever the tidal wave looks like, the Lord still reigns. Uh, and uh, we count it a great privilege to, to be allowed to be engaged and, you know, to bring our medical background and our missions background directly to bear on a significant issue that society is trying to grapple with. You notice, Tony, I was trying to be nice today. I know I put you on the spot the last time. I don't want to you know, get political and talk <laughs> he, about the... He heard from me about that. Yeah, she did. I got, I, got, I got in trouble. Just so you know, I got your back. All right, so I appreciate you, that. Yeah, you mentioned right before the show that you guys are coming to Tampa Bay next weekend to the FCCI conference, which is all, it's really all next week. Um, talk about why you're coming. Why is FCCI important to you, a CEO and business owner? Well, you know, we... All of us need encouragement in whatever type of work God has us in. Uh, And FCCI are one of a number of organizations that is just doing an awesome job in uh, providing a place for CEOs to come together, uh, to learn from the Lord together, and also to learn about their companies. Uh, Because, you know, there are challenges where you really really are blessed by having sort of peer-level uh, folk that you can counsel with over, you know, employment issues or legal issues, regulatory issues, and, and to talk with others who face similar issues uh, is a tremendous help. So something like FCCI is a great blessing. Now, Felicity, with you getting to go along with Tony, there are, I'm sure there's lots of other 
Uh, you know, I don't know if you're actively involved at Sidera or not. Are you involved in the business? No, you're on sabbatical. You said you're on sabbatical. Well, I, I am on the board of Sidera, so I Ooh. do occasionally um, break my sabbatical. Okay. <laughs> so I imagine there's probably a lot of encouragement there for you when you go. What do you find value when you get to go to an FCCI conference? I think just the, the, the fellowship with other um, uh, you know, business owners, business owners' wives. I, I'm looking forward to that side of things very much. Hmm. That is so great because that is a really big part of building up a marriage when you have something in common like that when you're hearing from other people. So Jim was mentioning to you guys that on Tuesdays we do try to focus a little bit on relationship issues. And as we've said, you guys wrote this book together. So letting our listeners get to know you a little bit more, how long have you guys been married? It's, it's going to be 45 years on September 18th. Oh, well, happy so, anniversary. Thank you. Thank that you. That is fabulous. That's fantastic. And, and what I thought was great is that you kept Tony from saying it's going to be 44 years on September 18th. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working on that. Have you? <laughs> I, I would have been in bad trouble. <laughs> so how have you seen the Lord grow your marriage strong over the years? What has the Lord used to grow you guys together? Because 45 years is a monstrous accomplishment. Mm-hmm. As you look Look at the society that we live in today. Couples that have stayed married for 45 years get to be a little fewer and further between. How have you seen the Lord work in your marriage and what has he used to grow your marriage? Go ahead. Either one of you just don't fight. Who wants to go first? I'll start. Um, I think that right from the very start, we, we determined that Jesus was going to be absolutely forefront in our marriage for both of us. Uh, so both of us were Christians when we got married. And uh, we, we determined that right from the start. And, and so that's been, uh, that's been just a, a, an unspoken, it's an, an unwritten statement that's described our marriage. And so together, you know, we've sought the Lord. We've spent time uh, seeking his face. We've, sp- we've spent time in his word. And I, I think that's especially true in times of adversity. Um, you know, I remember one time when, um, uh, back a, a number of years ago, when we were facing certain challenges within uh, one of our businesses, and um, God started speaking to us out of the minor prophets. And for about six months, it seemed that every day He was showing us something new. And it, there were there were exciting times and incredibly relevant times, and and that sort of thing. Uh, it definitely draws you closer together. Mm. Yeah, I might add to that that um, it's been very intentional for us. Uh, We we both in our teenage years had very, uh, I guess, solid, deep experiences of God dealing with us, uh, you know, enjoying books like Andrew Murray's Absolute Surrender uh, and, you know, making conscious choices in our early university years at medical school uh, that we wanted to find a way to seek first uh, his kingdom and his righteousness. Uh, so we built that uh, into our home from the start. I mean, uh, in our early marriage, uh, you know, before any kids came along, uh, our home was one of the very few uh, medical student homes where there was a married couple. Uh, and so large numbers of Christians would, would come over and we would fellowship and, you know, worship and pray and get into the word. Uh, but we continued that throughout our lives. So, uh, you know, to this, uh, you know, time now, 45 years later, uh, we still take time, uh, not every day, but most days to uh, read together, to pray together. 
sometimes to, we, we literally march up and down a long hallway in our home and, uh, and sing and praise and just say, Lord, we're, we're here to serve you. That's powerful. And, and that's really what we're looking for is that example, because there are people are out there going, well, how do we do this? How do we get this marriage thing to work? And, and really, I think the topic that we're going to talk about today, the, you know, the small churches, the, the home churches, that can be a really powerful part because sometimes people get away with having meager, mamby-pamby, weak marriages because they're in a big congregation and nobody's holding them accountable. And some people can't handle that responsibility. They need to be in a small group and, and because that small group brings that accountability. So that just transitions us in. Okay. You guys, you guys grew up in the UK, right? I mean, everybody, people can figure that out by your accents. You didn't grow up in Texas where you are today. Uh, well, actually I grew up in Taiwan where my parents were missionaries. Uh, but then I went back to the UK for university. And I grew up in the UK. So Taiwan, but you don't, okay, all right, that's good. You, you, you don't sound like you're from, you know, Asia, but okay, that's good. I'm, I'm good with that. All right, so how did you guys get involved in the small church, home church movement in London? How did that happen? Okay, well, London back in the 60s was uh, a very post-Christian society. Uh, I mean, uh, at our medical school, maybe 1% of the student population was Christian, uh, and so you're talking uh, a society that really uh, had completely marginalized uh, believers. I mean, we were literally looked at as weird for believing the Bible and for being active Christians. Uh, but uh, that also produces a completely different type of Christianity, because when there's no social mileage in going to church, uh, you really are only active in church if you're taking serious your faith. Uh, and so we, uh, along with many other believers all over the UK, uh, were eagerly seeking God and saying, Lord, you know, this country is so far off the rails. I mean, you know, this was the era of Vietnam and the Beatles and, you know, hallucinogenic drugs and free sex and all of these types of things. Uh, and it was as if society was going mad uh, in relation to any understanding of, of core biblical values. Uh, and into that, real prayer went up, and God began moving by His Holy Spirit. Uh, and all over the country, through the late 60s and 70s, thousands of new small groups were forming. Uh, and because these mainly formed in homes, uh, people called them home churches. Now, we didn't have any theology of, uh, of small in those days. In fact, very quickly, most of these became sort of the biggest Christian show in town. Uh, but they all started in a very small way in homes, and for us, we loved what that represented. So talk to me, Felicity, give us your, your, your female perspective on what did that represent? How did it impact your family being involved in a small home church? Um, I, I, well, we had very young children at the time, so our children were born into that, and that they really, that was, that was the only kind of church they knew growing up. Um, and it, it was definitely a sort of a huge asset to us as a family to have a, a, a community of people around us who, who I mean, we, we literally shared everything with in, in practical ways as well as uh, spiritual ways um, in the area of London where we were. Um, we were in a, what at that stage was the poorest, uh, poorest area of London. And... Um, 
we found many, many people uh, becoming Christians, and you couldn't walk down any of the streets near us without coming coming across another Christian. It was a real time of revival, although we didn't recognize it as such at the time. It was, it was an extraordinary time. I love that because that's actually a part of um, the story that you tell. And our readers or our listeners need to know that they can get your book and read the whole story for themselves called Small is Big by Tony and Felicity Dale. But the the fact that you talked about that, it wasn't until much later that you actually realized what was really happening right in front of your faces. But um, I almost, when I read that, I almost got a a picture of like that, you know, when um, in the scripture, when it says he he who has an ear, let him hear, you were kind of blinded from that during that time, probably to keep it from becoming something it wasn't supposed to be. I don't know, but that's just where my thoughts as I was reading that. But your story is it such an encouragement because it was something you guys really, like you said, you were praying and you were allowing God to to really direct you? It, it really was an awesome privilege to, you know, find yourself in the middle of something that God was doing. Um, you know, over, over those years, I, I guess literally hundreds uh, of our patients came to the Lord. Mm. Uh, we, we saw groups multiply out. At one stage, I think we reckoned that there were 17 contiguous streets. So, you know, one street next to another that had gatherings that were meeting uh, on those streets. Uh, and the sense of community that developed, uh, the, the practical uh, involvement. So, I mean, imagine this is the poorest part of London. Uh, I think 92% of the housing was uh, government-sponsored uh, or subsidized housing. Uh, and, you know, there are all the social problems that that uh, creates. Uh, I think of one of the home churches that happened to have a lot of nurses in it uh, at one of the local hospitals. Uh, and as a church, they, they set things up in such a way that uh, one of the, the men in the group... Uh, Tony, could... i got to interrupt you right in the middle of that one. We'll come back and talk about this house full of nurses and how the Lord was moving there. But i got to interrupt you because we got to take a break. We're talking today with Tony and Felicity Dale about their great book, Small is Big talking about the small church movement that started in London, and then you got to wait to see where the Lord moved them next. So, Tony, right before the break, you were telling a story about the, the way you were observing one of the churches that had a bunch of nurses in it and some things that they did. Why don't you continue that story? Okay, glad to. Um, you know, the issue was that uh, nurses obviously work around the clock, uh, and so those who were coming off duty at 11 o'clock or midnight, whatever time it was, uh, it was certainly, uh, you know, potentially dangerous for them using public transport to get home. Uh, so the guys in, in that particular home church just organized their schedules in such a way that uh, the nurses were always picked up night after night, week after week, month after month, uh, so that they had a safe trip home from the hospital to their own apartments. Hmm. What a way to be the hands and the feet um, and, and protect each other and care for each other that you wouldn't even think about. Absolutely. So I think what a lot of listeners want to find out, and they don't know, they haven't read your book yet, but I, I know this is like, okay, things are going phenomenal in London. You guys are part of a monstrous house church movement. Things are great. And then the Lord moves you. Why? And where? <laughs> well, I have to admit, we wondered that. But um, uh, Tony and I, were, we, we'd been actually ministering in the States. We were on a uh, flight back to England, and we turned to each other and we say, uh, has the Lord spoken to you on our trip? And, and to, to both of us, he'd said the same thing, and that was that we were to move to the States. And uh, 
to cut a long story short, uh, we, we landed up in Texas, which is where we, we've been ever since, in Austin, Texas. And um, for nine years, we could not have answered the question, why? We, we assumed that it was tied up with a, a ministry to doctors and nurses that we were involved in. Uh, that fell, We fell absolutely flat on our faces when it came to that. Uh, nobody wanted to employ two unlicensed physicians. And uh, we, we really didn't fit into the traditional uh, sort of mold of American church. I mean, we, we, we did our best, but we were, I guess we were just too out of the box. And so we had nine years of God uh, dealing with us, of taking us sort of to the backside of the wilderness, working on our character. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it was that full nine years before we finally realized that, what, what he was going to do with us over here. Well, and you moved to a part of the country that couldn't have been any more opposite than where you came from in London. I mean, you came from an area where you said, you know, your uh, society was marginalizing believers, where the society in Texas, certainly Austin, I mean, Christianity is still part of culture in that part of Texas. I mean, it, I mean it's still, I mean, it's the Bible Belt. Well, certainly uh, Texas is Bible Belt. I guess Austin is, uh, in practice, a very liberal city in the middle of a very conservative state. Uh, but, uh, you know, all, these terms are all very relative. So to, to come to Austin, where in those days probably 40% of people went to church, uh, nowadays it uh, sadly would be down to probably 20% who, who go to church. Uh, but, yes, it was a very Christianized environment. Uh, and the, the strange thing was that although it had all the superficial trappings of being Christian, uh, we, we, we just found for us it was so different. Uh, it, it's as if the Christianity was a mile wide but only an inch deep. Uh, and that was so different to what we had uh, been forced to lead really in the UK. Uh, and, and the Lord used that to, uh, uh, to drive you know, uh, ourselves into a place of utter dependence on him. What did that look like, being driven to a place of utter dependence? Because that's what, that doesn't sound very fun. (laughs) Uh, I think that would be a fair remark. I mean, I can literally remember times when I would drive home crying and say, Lord, you know, what are you doing? I can't even take care of my family here. Uh, And the desire to just go back to England and pick up the medical practice again, where at least I could be a good husband and dad, was uh, at times overwhelming. Uh, But, you know, the reality was God's leading to bring us here, which we've not really had, you know, time to go into in any depth, was so clear, so, so marked by the supernatural. Uh, that we never had any doubt that we were in the center of his will. We just couldn't figure out why on earth in his will he would put us into such a wilderness spiritually. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's really is where the refining fire goes on. Uh, and I think we all know, although we don't like it at the time, uh, that we learn much more through the tough times in hanging on to God than we do in the fantastic times where everything's going well. Oh, there's such a huge upside to adversity. In fact, a guy wrote a book like that, Oz Hillman, The Upside of Adversity. I mean, it's so true, the Joseph calling on somebody's life. So how did the Lord finally move you back 
into, I mean, your sweet spot was being involved in the house church, small church movement in London. And in Texas, you, you get thrown into an area, Texas, I mean, in Texas, all you hear about is, hey, wow, did you hear about this 20,000 person church and this 15,000 person church and this 35,000 person church? Did, were you finally able to use the the gifting, the skills that you have to start getting back involved in small churches in uh, Texas? Well, God was very gracious to us. Um, you know, we, we we belonged to uh, two or three churches over that nine-year period, you know, trying to, to figure out where we fit in, how we could try and be a helper and encouragement. And uh, one of the things the Lord blessed us with uh, was we, we continued uh, for much of that time to uh, encourage small groups within whatever church we were a part of. And uh, we saw a fair number of, uh, of friends, of business colleagues, uh, become Christians. Uh, now, we didn't realize it, but we were nearing the end of this nine years, uh, getting really desperate. We gave God an ultimatum uh, and said, Lord, if, if we haven't figured out what we're doing here by the end of this year, this was 1996, then we're going to go back to England and pick up the pieces. Uh, I wish we had given God that ultimatum a whole lot earlier. Uh, <laughs> Do you really awesome. think that's what it would work? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't know theologically if we're allowed to do that, but all of a sudden God began speaking to us again, and he promised us that we would find ourselves a part of a move of his spirit that was similar in its scope and its intensity to what we had been a part of in the UK. And that's when everything began to break loose again. We're talking today with Tony and Felicity Dale about... Churches. Small is big. Unleashing the big impact of intentionally small churches. It's a book that they wrote that I was introduced when Tony was on our show about a month and a half ago talking about Sidera Health that you can find online at sidera.com. Now you can go to their website simplychurch.com to talk about that simple small house church. So why don't you give us the idea behind a small church, behind this simple church, behind this house church idea? Okay, well, the, the basic idea, uh, really, is that in the New Testament, uh, church is not viewed as corporate, but it's viewed as family. Uh, and once you start thinking of church as family, it really chains, changes your paradigm on so much of what you read in the New Testament. Um, let's take, for example, the, the one another's of the New Testament. You know, we're to love one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to forgive one another. We're to teach and admonish one another. Uh, well, when you start thinking of that as a practical reality, uh, how, how do we teach and admonish one another, uh, you know, in a, a context of 200, let alone 2,000 or 20,000? You know, inevitably, all the teaching is in one direction. And one of the things you see is that the larger any Christian entity gets, really the fewer people are able to participate. Uh, and yet the New Testament seems to be so participatory. We, we read verses like 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. It says, and when you come together, each one has something to share. Uh, and so we, we were just enjoying the privilege of, of learning into this context where everybody's contribution was going to be so important. Well, wait a minute. What, what isn't, you know, isn't the idea of a group of believers uh, gathering together in one place without a professional Christian leading, isn't that kind of heretical? <laughs> it's kind of biblical, though. <laughs> but it's, it's, I mean, you talk about countercultural in the church. Yes, I understand it's biblical. And, and that was, of course, meant tongue-in-cheek with a heavy amount of sarcasm in it. But it is, 
but you're talking way out of the box. Yet I I know the value of what you're saying. But how do you communicate the value? Because what you just said is the larger the church, the less participative people can be in the church. That is so true. But it, it's uh, because people can get lost in a big church, and in a small church, they cannot get lost. There's accountability. There's involvement. It, it, that's a big deal. We're talking today with Tony and Felicity Dale, and getting your hands dirty. Small churches. You can't help to not get your hands dirty. Ministry is messy. And when you get a bunch of people together in a small group, it's a little messy. That's the really cool part because messy builds community. Messy builds deep depth in relationships. Messy is really cool. So as we're talking with Tony and Felicity, I just, the question goes out to, okay, why do you think small church is resonating with so many people today? I think there are probably a number of reasons. I think people long for the the sort of intimate community that comes as a small group of people gets gets together. Um, big church, big, we, we don't have anything against big church, uh, so please don't uh, understand things that we say to mean that. You know, God is using big churches, and that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But he's also, uh, all around the world, he is using small churches. So... Uh, you know, some, some countries that we are, are, are pretty familiar with, God is doing uh, extraordinary things, seeing multiplication of small churches. And what we're seeing uh, here in the States is only a drop in the bucket compared to what's going on around the rest of the world. Um, but yes, I, I think um, God, is, uh, God is doing something different with small churches. He's, it, because they're for many people, they'll never uh, they'll never uh, go through the door of our traditional church buildings, right. but they're very open to to, to gathering together with their um, their friends in their homes and and seeking God together. And so we we personally we love starting church with groups of unbelievers, mm-hmm. and we find that's a you know a wonderful way to get something started. So what led you guys to writing the book Small Is Big? You know, I think I'd probably put the, the roots back in the, the UK because uh, we, we didn't start uh, by writing, as it were, small is big, but we started uh, a magazine called House to House. Uh, and we had seen back in the UK the, the tremendous power of the written word to sort of help fuel n- new spiritual movements. Uh, and recognizing that, uh, some friends, in fact, a, a couple that we actually had lunch with earlier today, uh, Jim and Kathy Mellon, and then a, another couple that we know well up in Fort Worth, uh, Dave and Christine Underwood, uh, we, we got together as three couples and we just said, you know, what, what can we do to let people know that what we're doing is authentic? Because in, in all three places, in Fort Worth, in Austin, and in Killeen, we were seeing networks of these churches emerge. Uh, and the magazine was born out of that idea and in a way that we absolutely had not anticipated. Not only did it, it take off, but it really became the, uh, the, the spring bed, I guess, out of which uh, Felicity began to discover that the Lord had a lot more that he wanted her to write. And that's why she's doing the blogging? Is that where that kind of transitioned yes, into? Uh-huh. Yes, um, because the written word can get uh, much further than the spoken word. Sure. 
and people can read it at their leisure. That's what the world is all about right now is getting that information. So, Tony and Felicity, as we talk about the impact that being involved in a small church movement has made in your lives, why do you think so many Christ followers are struggling with the status quo in their church today? You know, there's a well-known Southern Baptist leader uh, called Reggie McNeil, uh, who wrote a book a few years ago called The Present Future. Uh, and he makes a very interesting observation from, you know, some of the research that he was doing in relation to that book when he says, you know, uh, in the old days, I guess he means 10, 20 years ago or whatever, when people were leaving church, it was nearly always because they were losing their faith. Uh, but he said, now when you look at those who are leaving church, the strange thing is they're leaving church to preserve their faith. Ooh, that's weird. And I think there are growing numbers of people, especially of those in leadership in churches, who are saying, Lord, I, I'm not quite sure where it went wrong, but we seem to have moved into performance mode uh, rather than really relationship mode. Uh, and people are looking for an authentic experience of Jesus rather than to be entertained uh, in the incredible uh, times that uh, so many churches now produce, but which doesn't necessarily touch the heart. Well, and I love that you use that word authentic movement of Jesus, authentic touch of Christ, because there's an organization that's forming nationwide part of uh, Mission America Coalition that is um, uh, doing this thing called Love 2020 to bring the, an authentic touch of Christ to every person in the marketplace, 156 million people by 2020. And, and it's really like bringing this small church idea into our workplaces, recognizing that our workplace is our mission field, and to recognize that a lot of ministry happens when it's small, and a lot of ministry can happen. It gets Because you can't be in a small group without transparency and vulnerability, otherwise it just gets awkward. That is so true. Uh, and, you know, uh, the opportunities we find in the marketplace, I mean, uh, I as a CEO of a company, I spend 40 to 50 hours a week uh, with a growing number of people. Uh, and that's an incredible opportunity to disciple people even before they've come to Jesus. We've always believed that the workplace should be a very easy place for people to find Jesus. So how have you seen, you guys, as it's impacted your lives, your marriage, how have you seen the small church eliminate those people? You know, they're leaving the church to preserve their faith. How have you seen the small church help people just thrive in their faith? Well, I, I think probably the most obvious thing that I would say is that uh, all of a sudden people find a, a place of expression uh, for what the Holy Spirit's putting in them. Uh, I love uh, what it says. I believe it's at the end of 2 Corinthians 3 where it says we have the mind of Christ. You know, when, when the body of Christ gathers together, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, the arms, the legs, the fingers, the head, the neck, whatever it might be. Uh, with love pulling every joint together. We need what every part of the body is going to share. Uh, and when all we hear from is the mouth, we don't have a very good expression of the body. Uh, we, we want to be joined by that which every joint is supplied, you know, this love of God coming through one another. Uh, and it's so powerful to be touched by Jesus in ordinary ways, through ordinary believers, rather than everything having to be super special, incredibly fantastic. Uh, actually, 
the ordinary is what makes up our everyday lives. Well, because the ordinary is extraordinary. I mean, when we, and that's what every day on the show, we try to have people share their testimonies. We don't try, we do have them share their testimonies of how Christ is impacting their lives because we're all inspired by those by those testimonies, and it's that authenticness that really moves people. We're talking with Tony and Felicity Dale about their book, Small is Big, Unleashing the Big Impact of Intentionally Small Churches. Still got a couple copies of that book we can give away to you today. 877-943-9673. 877-943-9673. So I want to ask you guys, and I'm not sure that Jim even has this written in any of his questions, but when I was reading the book and you were talking about the fact that a lot of times in this setting, you didn't pre-plan who was necessarily going to lead or who was going to start conversation. And I'm the kind of person I like to to get a picture. What does that really look like? So if you, for our listeners, could kind of share a little bit about one, one or two instances of what it looks like. Not that it's a, a rule book, because that you make that very clear in the book, that that's not what it's about. But what are some of the elements you would try to include, and what would that look like in any given week? Well, I think we try and base um, what, we, what we do when we come together on a, a couple of scriptures. One of them uh, Tony's mentioned, which is when you come together, everyone has a contribution to make effectively. Right. Uh, the other one would come uh, in Acts um, chapter 2, and it, it talks about uh, they came together for the apostles' doctrine, for fellowship, for breaking of bread, and for prayer. So we ca- when we come together, we expect uh, these four elements to be part. So we'll share a meal together, we'll, we'll share fellowship, we'll, explain, you know, we'll talk about what God's doing in our lives, uh, we'll spend time in the Word, and we'll pray and uh, they don't always happen every single time, but uh, in, in general, those four elements are what, uh, what we do when we come together. And uh, we found them to be um, <laughs> very sort of life-giving. They have to be, if you want to see multiplying churches, everything has to be simple. So it's very simple. Uh, and even we've seen um, very recent Christians lead meetings. Um, and it's very simple to, to move from a meal to, to sharing what God's doing in your life, to spending time in the Word, to praying for one another. Um, but the, those four elements have just made up a, um, something that's easily reproducible, which if you're going to see multiplying churches, it needs to be reproducible. Amen. I, I love that. When we come back, a little bit more with Tony and Felicity Dale about Small is Big, unleashing the intentionally small church in your life. How can you get that done? The big impact. Tony's the president and CEO of Sidera.com, Sidera Health. If you run a business and you're looking for a healthcare solution that's a little out of the box, you need to check it out. Sidera.com, S-E-D-E-R-A.com. As we come to the end of the show, I really want to just encourage you listeners. I work for him is all about bringing, recognizing that your workplace is your mission field and that you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet and understanding that once you present Jesus to them, they still may not be comfortable going to your big church. They may just be worried about the lightning effect, and we'll talk about that in another show. <laughs> but they would be very open to a small group study in your home. Tony and Felicity, how do you get this started? How do you start a home church? Well, I love the context you put that in because uh, one of the things we've found is that it's so easy to begin studying with people who don't know Jesus yet. Uh, We found that although people may have made up their mind about church, 
meaning that often they aren't interested to go. Uh, on, uh, in contrast to that, their minds are wide open about Jesus, who they know is just the most remarkable person who ever lived. And it's one of the things I love about uh, what we see in the workplace. Uh, I've, I've had uh, new employees, I, I'm talking people who've perhaps been, been with us a week or two at the most, uh, come into my office and, and say, help me understand what is so different here. I've, I've never worked in a place like this. Amen. Uh, and you, we just love to see them responding to Jesus in that context. That's a cool, when somebody asked you like that, that is the coolest question ever to be asked in the whole world. Mm-hmm. That's it really is. And uh, if, if we ask the Holy Spirit for opportunity, he will create it. Uh, the world is hungry. Jesus said the harvest field is white and ready for harvest. We, we just need to have spirits that are open to share. So my last question, because we're running out of time, and I, and I feel terrible that we're running out of time, because this is a great conversation. But So you guys have been involved in, in how, the house church movement, the small church movement, for most of your lives. How have your kids then taken that to the next generation? Uh, well, certainly um, uh, our oldest son, we have four kids. Our oldest son has a church that meets in his house. Um, and our other two kids are very definitely going on with the Lord. Um, we have one who's a little, uh, not, quite, not quite there yet, but uh, the, uh, we, we don't mind whether they go to uh, house church or traditional church as long as they love the Lord and are following him with their whole heart. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Any last thoughts, Tony, as a CEO, a president, and you and Felicity being so involved in the small church movement, you got 30 seconds left. What's one thing you want to make sure people hear about this small church movement? Well, I guess I would encourage them, go back to the Word of God. Uh, and think about the fact that for the first two centuries, the only churches that people knew were small churches, mainly in homes. What? That you had you had time left. That was incredible. <laughs> it's uh, a I, simple I, point. I, I, I bet Felicity's <laughs> going, well, he's never done that before. Too little rather than too much. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Well, and the website people can go out and get more information is simplychurch.com. That's simplychurch.com. And, of course, we're all out of books today, but you can get a copy of your book. Where can they get a copy of your book if they want to buy a copy because they couldn't get one free today? They can get one via Amazon. All right, Amazon. Mm-hmm. Small is big. We'll have a copy of that on our Facebook page today. Tony and Felicity Dale, welcome. Thank you for being so welcome on I Work for Him for just giving us a great conversation. Enjoy your time in Tampa Bay next week at the FCCI conference. And, you know, if you got some time for dinner, you could always just call us and we'll buzz down to Sarasota and we'll see you, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. thanks again. I appreciate it. We're hoping that everybody listening today was challenged. Martha, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? It was. It was awesome. Makes you want to just start a home church tomorrow. May have to do that. All right, you've been listening to I Work Room with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers, and we own our own business, but ultimately, I work for him. him.